everyone. I'm Brian Carrington, and you're listening to Call Talk for April 17th, 2013. Today's topic is lemming or leader. You decide. Stop being a lemming and learn how to achieve extraordinary results in record time. If you're listening live, I want to invite you to be a part of the show and ask questions. Here's how you do it. It's real easy. You can either email me at brian at benchmarkportal.com. That's spelled out B-R-I-A-N at benchmarkportal.com. Or if you're listening on the phone or close to one, call into this number and then hit the one on your phone to let me know you have a question. The number is 347-857-3117. And if you're the first person to ask a live question on the phone today, you'll get a free $1,500 benchmarking survey from Benchmark Portal. I want to remind everyone, of course, that all of our shows are archived and available to listen to at BenchmarkPortal.com any time of the day that's convenient for you. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce the host of Call Talk, Bruce Belfiore. Thank you very much, Brian, and welcome back to Call Talk, everyone. Today's topic, as Brian mentioned, is lemming or leader. You decide. Stop being a lemon, lemming, not a lemon, but a lemming, and learn how to achieve extraordinary results in record time. And for this, we've brought in an expert on the topic for you, Steve Riddell from Blinds.com. Mr. Riddell is an inspirational speaker, manager, and author who is truly an expert in management, sales, and customer service using his methods in his own workplace and also teaching uh, his technique nationally and internationally. Steve has been involved in sales and management excellence for the past 20 years, having served as a senior executive in several corporations. He was the 2006 recipient of the Peppers and Rogers National Innovator Award of Excellence, and in 2010, he was named one of the top five call center leaders of the year from IQPC, and received the 2010 Call Center of the Year Award. He is also winner of the 2012 Gold Stevie Award of Excellence in Sales and Customer Service. He's the author of the book, Selling Genius, Achieving Extraordinary Sales Results with Ordinary People. Steve holds an MBA from Abilene Christian University and currently serves as the Chief Operations Officer for Blinds.com. Now, Steve is a very busy guy, and he got hit with a travel glitch this morning, so he's joining us from the road, and we really appreciate this, and ask our listeners to uh, understand if the sound quality is a little bit below normal, uh, the content, I can assure you, will be stellar. So it's my pleasure to welcome Steve Riddell. Welcome, Steve. Hey, thanks for having me, Bruce. Appreciate being here. Okay, great. Well, Steve, talk to me about how a guy like you with uh, such a varied background in sales, consulting, a whole host of other experience, ended up at a place called Blinds.com. Well, you know, I have a a long uh, background in call centers, but I'd actually retired and uh, was actually building houses when a friend of mine who used to work for me called me and said there was a guy that needed my help. And I said, I I don't uh, do that anymore. He said, why not? I don't want to travel. And so he said, well, it's right in Houston. So I went and met... uh, the, uh, met Jay Steinfeld, who's the CEO of Blinds.com, and uh, we kind of hit it off, and I started working as a consultant. And after a year, he asked me if I'd come in and run the operations for the company. So I came back out of retirement to come back into the call center business, and it's been kind of a, a nice run. Uh, we have grown from $32 million to about $100 million in sales in record time, and it's just been a really good uh, place uh, place to be. 
Well, that's fabulous. That, that, that's really great. You know, one thing I do find with a lot of people in our field is that they're people people. So they really don't want to retire. <laughs> they don't want to retire completely. So it's it's great that you've uh, you've continued on with us because I think the uh, the industry is getting a lot out of your continued involvement as well. So in fact, your your progressive story of achievement has some underlying issues that you faced. So could you walk us through a, a brief background on uh, what you faced? Uh, some of the highlights of the last four years with Blinds.com. And, and uh, Steve, I'm particularly interested in hearing how you confronted issues that members of our audience might be confronting right now in their work lives. Well, I, I'm sure, Bruce, that, that a lot of people have, have kind of hit the same kind of uh, uh, pieces of the puzzle that I have had to hit in terms of walking into a new organization. And at Blinds.com, I mean, they didn't even know what they were in the call center business. Uh, it's an Internet business that uh, sells about 65% of its business over the Internet, but 35% over the phone when people get confused. And they didn't even know they were in the call center business. Uh, they really hmm. were acting like they were in the, in the business, and so phone calls were almost an annoyance. But uh, So I had, I had no, virtually no uh, background uh, in, in, with the management team in call centers, virtually no metrics or standards performance. Um, all the salespeople were on just a base pay system, uh, no ability to forecast staffing needs, abandon rates were high, high agent-to-manager uh, uh, ratios. I mean, the list goes on, and, and it, 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 that was in 2008. And some of the things that we did early on uh, made a huge difference, and in two years we, we went from not knowing where the call center business to call center of the year. And it was a very <laughs> focused effort around putting – Things in a play that would absolutely make a difference and turn uh, the tide in, our, in a favorable direction. And remember, we're linked to the housing market, and the housing market's been in the tank for five years. But we have grown 25% per year over the last five years. Wow. Uh, you know, just thinking about that, going from not knowing you're a call center to call center of the year in two years, that's really quite a finding yourself voyage, isn't it? Uh, yeah. <laughs> sort of. Uh, yeah. You, you might have kind of acquiring a new identity. And, and the, one of the things that's interesting that you just mentioned is that they weren't using any metrics, and you actually got them to use metrics to uh, understand what they were doing and to improve what they were doing. I imagine that was part of the excitement of uh, turning them around and turning them into a, a great call center. Well, what's interesting about it, Bruce, is the fact that, that yes, we use metrics, but not in the way that most uh, call centers Operate. I, I just got through at uh, Frost and Sullivan at, at the call center uh, mind exchange, and I got to tell you, everybody's talking about metrics and standards of poor performance. Now they're talking about the voice of the customer. And, and while I'm, I, I absolutely believe in those kinds of things, what, what stands out to me most is most call centers are putting such an emphasis on the metric side of the business that they forget that there are real people who answer real phone calls. And the reality yeah. of it is, if they're not skilled in the workplace to do that. We, we find that call centers today and for the last 20 years have metricized their people to death to the point where what happens is they get aberrant behavior because of the metrics. And that, yeah. I think, has been yeah. a distinguishing factor be, behind what we've done. Well, one of the things that we found, and, of course, we deal with metrics as uh, a base part of our business, is that, uh, really, the metrics have to go with best practices and they have to go with the people. You have to have the people, processes, technology, understanding that go all together. Otherwise, you're right. Things become aberrant, and they don't really uh, come up with the results that you're really looking for. Um, right. now, now, you talk a lot about cultures that are either compliance-oriented or competency-based. Uh, 
And uh, could you explain the difference and why that that's important? In other words, help our audience to determine where they might fall. Okay, so make it very personal for them. And uh, whether, you know, if they fly, fall on one side or the other, it's a good thing. Well, I ask most organizations this, this, most organizations this question. Uh, would, if you were to be honest with your, yourself, would you say that your company is more focused on skill or on process? And mm. most groups will tell me that, they, that everything that they see themselves do is geared around process even though they want to build the skills of their organization. And those two simply do not go hand-in-hand hand for, for the most part. Now, that isn't to say that you shouldn't have processes. But when organizations get so process-oriented, what happens is they become very compliance-based. And it's all about holding people into levels of compliance to QA and scripts and things of that nature. And, and of course, you know, you get in the world of QA, and it's a whole other animal. Uh, but mm. the, the difference between a competency-based group and a compliance-based group is that a competency group will, will tend to go after skill as the primary motive of getting people to the, to the levels of skills they need with the organization. If they become compliance-driven, then it will be all about metrics and standard performance and QA score. And if you use QA score to drive your behavior, you'll drive it in an aberrant way. And once score comes into play, all skills ceases to happen. Mm, okay. And but do you see some situations where a uh, a healthy combination of uh, QA scoring and um, you know that actually drives toward skill enhancement, where that can yes. work? Yes, absolutely. In fact, we've, we've instituted some QA processes in our own organization, but it was only after we had, we had attacked it from a skill point of view. Now, the problem is with QA is most people don't know how to establish a QA process within their organizations that actually do measure it. Uh, and a case in point, if your audience has a call center where they have to have a calibration sessions in order to determine what a good score is, that's a bad setup. I usually ask the question of most organizations, is it possible in your organization to get a great score and have it be a bad call from the customer's perspective? And most everyone always answers me yes. Then I say, okay, let's flip it around. Is it possible to have a bad score and have it be a great call from the customer's perspective? Uh-huh. And most people will say yes. And then I follow up that with, with, with this. Am I the only guy in the room that thinks it's a bad idea? Because if you have a great score and have it be a bad call, and a bad call and have it be a, uh, a bad score and have it be a great call, that's a problem. Because it doesn't really measure it from a customer's perspective, and not and all customers are different. And who said that we had to use the person's name three times in a phone call? Who said we needed a brand on every call? I mean, this is the, the kind of stuff that's entered into QA, and it just is anathema to the people who are on the receiving end of that kind of scoring system. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, now, the difference is on QA, if you can establish one where it's either a yes or a no, they either did it or they didn't do it, and all QA tells you is that they are utilizing the skills that are being taught, and they're scored mm-hmm. based on the utilization of the skills, that's a completely different animal. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, good. I'm glad you're not holding back. You know, this program is kind of famous for launching the occasional Molotov cocktail to stir up debate, and I think I think you're definitely doing that. 
so, so that, that, that's good. Well, let me ask you. Let's let's drill down into that a little bit further because we have. Um, I've I've always thought that it's good to separate the components of the call into uh, the soft components and the hard components or the compliance okay. components. If you will. Sure. And so if if, if you do that. Uh, then really the soft aspects of the call are the ones that where you're saying, well, you know, how did the caller perceive this? How did the caller, um, you know, think about this? How satisfied would they be coming out of that? Uh, and on the other hand, the hard or the compliance aspects are, did you say the right things? Did you adhere to company policy? Uh, did you, I mean, because in some cases you can leave the, the uh, caller feeling very happy, but then they find out subsequently that they got the wrong information. <laughs> it's not oh, yeah, good yeah. either. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Now, I'm not talking compliance from a standpoint of banking and finance and things through disclosure statements and those kinds of things. But that would, uh-huh. that would absolutely be an, a measuring QA that would, that would tell you, did they follow the right procedures? But that's right. a yes or a no. It doesn't take anybody uh, to any, any group of people that have to get together and figure out was it scored appropriately? Mm-hmm. The problem exactly. that okay. most people in the call center is crazy is when three people can't agree on what was good or bad. Right, right. Okay, one of the things, too, is that let's say that you're in this kind of a situation. You have a scorecard that is divided into the soft and the compliance or hard aspects of it. And let's say that you – well, it's what you said, Steve. Who is the best person to determine – uh, if you did a good job on the soft side, the customer, well, right? You see, yeah, but I don't put an awful lot of emphasis on the soft side, and I'll tell you why, because soft skills are very difficult to train to. Uh, how do you train somebody to tone? Uh, mm-hmm. You'd be hard-pressed to do that. Uh, you, you can tell me what good tone sounds like. You can show me and, and, and let me listen to calls that have good tone, but you almost cannot t- train somebody to have good tone unless you train them on the right questions to ask. And by the nature mm. of the questions they ask, it changes the tone. We, we coach the tone all the time. We say change your tone. Well, the person knew how to change your tone, they would already be doing it. And I right. see people getting QA scores on tone that really honestly has nothing to do with the tone but everything to do with the questions they're asking or the conversation they're having. And we spent more time on the skill side, which is really what questions to ask, how to formulate those questions in such a way and speak to customers in the way they wish to be spoken to, it changes the whole way and nature of how QA actually works. Okay, that sounds really interesting. Can you, can you give us an example of, uh, of that, how tone and questions go together? Well, questions are, 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 are the heartbeat of, of a phone call, in my opinion. And, and when you teach people skill, there are just some questions that allow a person to be able to share with you what their, what their uh, needs are. Uh, I, I call it, you know, for lack of a better, better word, if you came into my organization, I call it the blind.com experience. And, mm-hmm. and every, every single person on the phone uh, is, and knows what their job is, and that, that their job is to deliver the blinds.com experience. But you have, to, you have to define that. And so by definition, the blinds.com experience in my world is, number one, your job is to give everybody who calls you a, a, a solution. If you don't provide them with a solution, then you fail. So there are questions that a person needs to ask in order to be able to get to solution. Why did you mm-hmm. call us today? What was it that you wanted to have happen? Very open-ended questions allow the customer to really share with you what was going on. I see so many uh, organizations where the first thing they do is they go to the computer. 
Mm-hmm. And, and 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 they they ask all this information so they can get the right screen up on the computer, and they forget right. that, that talking with a customer is the most important thing. So it's really right. what questions to ask. And the second mm-hmm. one is it's got to be easy. If you make it difficult, people aren't going to want to deal with you. And the third thing is when that customer hangs up that phone, their first reaction ought to be, wow, I'm glad I called Steve because he took care of my issue. And quite honestly, if you if you solved a person's issues, you made it easy, and evoked a wow at the end of the phone call, tell me what could be better than that. Yeah, that's perfect. That's perfect. That's exactly what we're trying to uh, to give to people. And so, all right, uh, getting back to that. So uh, obviously, uh, having a wow experience means that you have a um, an agent with the right skills, right? Who's supported mm-hmm. with right. the right te- technology. Uh, who has just the right amount of process so that they uh, do things uh, according to the the best interests of the the caller, um, and uh, then then well let's go back to the uh, the whole thing about scoring and coaching and all that sort of thing because I know that's an area okay. that you've put your heart into, and in fact I think uh, sort of a, a, a subtitle of this uh, call talk segment might be coaching your way to leadership and success. So mm-hmm. tell us a little bit more about uh, you know. How does your philosophy differ from the coaching that exists in most companies, and, and what is the, the heart of the philosophy that you have? Well, I, I'm what you might call a performance improvement specialist. I've spent 20 years helping organizations across the U.S. and Canada improving their ability to be able to sell and service their customers. And so I approach it from a, not just a practitioner's point of view, but also from a real consultative point of view. It's kind of interesting to be back, you know, having to follow my own advice. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but for five, you know, I, I'm usually a guy that you know that, that gives, tells people what to do, and I leave them to do it. But it's uh, yeah. you know, it's actually had to be put into my own environment, and it's been an interesting, uh, an interesting thing to do, because it, it's it's either you live it and you walk it and you breathe it and you do it, or all you become is a big mouth. And and what I hope that, that people will get out of this is the fact that there are a number of of uh, things you can do within a call center, but not all of them have been proven to work. Uh, I believe this from a standpoint of having gone into uh, hundreds of different organizations and helped them change their direction, which is stop putting so much emphasis on metrics and standards of performance and quality and get their people out just flat coaching people to skill. Now, most organizations, when they hear that, they go, well, we coach. Uh, Okay. I, I understand that you go through what's called a methodology of coaching, but that doesn't mean your people coach. Uh, if you look at most organizations, they may be out there doing what would be termed coaching, but what they're really doing is process and performance management. They spend more time dealing with the with, with people's metrics and beating them up with their with, with their with their numbers, rather than coaching people on a daily basis to a skill that is actionable that they can actually put into practice with a customer over the phone. They sit down with all their metrics and standards performance, and they say, okay, you've got to change your metrics. Well, if they knew how to change your metrics, they would already be doing it. The problem is that, that, that they don't know how to do it, and the coach doesn't really know how to tell them. And by the way, coaches come from where, Bruce? Coaches come from the center for the most part. That's right. And how were they coached? They were coached with the same methodology. So what happens yeah. is you have this you have this ongoing process of people coaching the people with their numbers and beating them up with their numbers. And what happens is the rep, not knowing the skills 
and how to do it, they, they start looking for ways to change the numbers, and unfortunately they find it. Well, let me give you a good example of this. I, I'm in Canada, and I, I, I'm at a large bank, and I hear this lady, you know, I'm listening to this phone call, this lady says, um, uh, this guy calls up, he says, I, I'm so mad at your bank, you've bounced my check the last three times in a row, I've had money in the bank, I'm sick of this. And the lady says, well, we want to thank you for being a loyal CIBC customer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and I, I'm, I'm serious. And so I went and yeah. I, I went out to her and I said, okay, so why did you say that? She said, well, I have to. I said, well, why? She said, look, I've been knocked down three times on my quality, and they tell me I'm going to lose my job, and I'm not going to lose my job. I said, yeah, but it doesn't fit. She said, I know it. But if I don't say it, I'm going to get marked down in quality. So here's an example of a lady who got the tick in the box. She got the quality yeah. score, but you'd be hard-pressed to say it had any relevance to the, the conversation. Absolutely. And, and this Absolutely. Is, yeah. This is the kind of nonsense that I see happening in call centers today. And what they really need to be focused on is, is coaching to skill. Now, here's the problem. The problem is that most, most organizations coach their people to a call maybe once every three days, once every five days. I find centers that coach maybe to a call once a month. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. Just, just related to teaching your child to ride a bike, if you wanted your child to ride a bike, how would you go about it? Teaching them once a month for one little session a day? They would never learn how to ride it that way. You have to hold the bike and run up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down until you're exhausted. I have, mm-hmm. I, I have uh, noticed that the person who's not learning how to ride the bike is the one that's doing all the work, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. so from a practical standpoint, that's what happens in the call center if you're really going to teach people levels of skill. But it has to be done daily and in a very certain way, which I use, which is called self-discovery, the art of the person discovering for themselves what they did. And because of that, they're more likely to follow through. And you can move mm-hmm. mountains in very short time durations. Let me give you an example. We went from a 17% close rate to almost a 52% close rate in a very short period of time at Blinds.com mm-hmm. by a focus on skill development. Hmm. Okay. Well, let, how about if we uh, sort of illustrate this to our listeners by doing a coaching session? Uh, can, okay. can we do that? Yeah, okay, that's so correct. just to give you an idea of what the philosophy uh, looks like, and uh, we could pick a, an industry, uh, financial services. That's a, an okay. area that both okay. of us have had a lot of experience in, in terms of call centers and everything like that. Right. And, um, okay, well, let, let, let's give it a try, see what happens. <laughs> All right, well, just uh, so your audience is kind of aware of what's going to happen here, right? it's, it's, it's a process that we use uh, by, by the nature of, of looking to see if Bruce can self-discover for himself what he did wrong and also helping Bruce discover for himself what he needs to do in order to correct it. And it's going to be drilling down to a specific thing that I want Bruce to go do. So we'll, we'll uh, start off, and you may want to take some notes on this because there's some specific questions here you may want to uh, write down. So, Bruce, mm-hmm. I really appreciate you letting me listen to our last call. I, uh, I like doing that. And I'd like to ask you, Bruce, in thinking about that last call, what do you think you did well on that call? Uh, well, Steve, I, I thought I did a, a good job with uh, the opening on the call. Uh, I had an upbeat and, and positive tone with the client. Um, I identified the issue that they had uh, with their uh, statement and, okay. that we sent to them last month. And, and why, is, why is a good opening important, Bruce? 
Well, a good opening is important because uh, that way you engage with the customer uh, and uh, they understand that you're there to serve them and that I'm there to try to solve whatever it is that they need solved. And, and how was the customer's reaction to you when you did that? Well, the customer's reaction was uh, kind of flat, but uh, it was okay. It was okay. Okay. So why do you think it was flat? Uh, I think that they were, I could almost see the furrow in their brow. They were really puzzling over what was going on with this uh, statement. They didn't understand it. Yeah, understood, understood. Well, would it be okay if I shared with you some things I thought you did well? Uh, please, thank you. Well, one, one of the things, yes, they were puzzling, but one of the things I really value about what you bring to, to the call center, especially to our customers, is you always seem to connect with them uh, on a very personal way. And you talk with them as though they're a person and not like they're some entity that uh, is, is annoying or bothering us. And I really appreciate that. Why is it important to make that connection with customers? Well, I think that, it, uh, it, one, it makes them feel good about uh, their relationship with our, our bank. And also it helps me to uh, then, uh, you know, get the conversation going so that I can ask more questions and can uh, solve their, their issue. Yeah, and I, I really appreciate it when you've done, done that. You've been putting some good things into practice that we've been talking about here lately, and I really like that. Now, let me ask you, Bruce, as you reflect on this call, if you had to go back and do this call over again, would there be anything that you would do differently? Mm, okay, yeah, Steve. Uh, you know, I probably took too long uh, to find the answer. I'm still not totally comfortable with our knowledge management system, and we've got, you know, three or four screens that we have to navigate uh, so I probably wasn't as efficient as, as I could have been on that. And, um, why why also, not, Bruce? I don't know. Um, you know, maybe uh, I, it's, I'm not the easiest person to train, and uh, I know we've, we've been through training on it, but I probably need some more training, Steve. Okay. Is, is it a matter of training, or is it a matter of anything else that you can think of? Um, well, mainly it's uh, just navigating the system. Maybe it's a little hard for me to navigate the system. Okay, so talk to me about what happened when, it was, when the system was hard to navigate. Mm-hmm. Well, um, let's, well, it was like we've got these different databases, right? And uh, some of them are legacy databases because of acquisitions that we've made, uh, credit cards and, and accounts and things like that. And um, I'm still not comfortable with which one do I need to go to when. Okay, so what did you do with the customer when you were having this issue? Well, I was kind of uh, making a little bit of s small talk, and I also said, uh, you know, uh, please hold while I – or pl please give me a minute to, to look up that, that record. Okay, and so there were long periods of silence in between, right? Yes. Oh, what was the customer thinking? Well, the customer was probably thinking, I wonder what he's up to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and when, when, he, when they're thinking that, are they thinking that you're real knowledgeable and helpful or whether they're thinking you're lost and confused? They probably think I was friendly but lost. Okay. And when the customer thinks you're lost, what, what kind of confidence level do they have in you? It goes down, I'm sure, unfortunately. Okay, so... Yeah. So, so what could what could you have done that could have? It, we all get confused, right? There are going to be times when we do this. But what yeah. could you have done that would have kept their 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 confidence high?
high in you and still allowed you the time you needed to be able to find the answer? You know, I, I could have put them on hold. Um, okay. There's another. What, yeah. What would you have said if you were going to put them on hold? I'd say, uh, please hold for a, a second while I retrieve the record. I'm going to put you on hold, and we'll be back uh, as soon as as soon as I can. Okay. Uh, now, if you wanted to really inspire confidence and appear that you knew everything you needed to know and didn't want to tip your hand, you still had to go find out, is there something else you could have done that would have really inspired confidence with me? Um, well, I'm waiting for some coaching on that. I mean, I just thought of something else I could have done. Okay, and, sure. Uh, well, I could have talked uh, a little bit during that. One of the things that she mentioned was that she was concerned about her statement because she wants to be sure she has enough for a down payment on a new car. And okay. I probably could have mentioned our, our car loan services, which I totally forgot to do. Why? I guess I was just so, you know, focused on uh, trying to fill this gap of knowledge and uh, find out the information from the systems that it just didn't occur to me. Okay, so there's two things that, that could have happened here. What, what what are they? One was what? One was uh, finding the answer faster by being able to navigate our systems faster. And and the solution to that would be to do what? I think I need more training, Steve. Okay, but the solution with the customer would have been to what? To put them on hold, right? Oh, put them on hold, yes. Correct. Yeah, I mean, that's, yep. that, that's a solution. So how would you have gone about, about putting them on hold? Oh, uh, put them on hold by saying, uh, you know, I uh, will be, um, you know, give me a second. I will be right back to you with an answer. I just need to check one of our systems. Okay, I'd like for you to say this. In order for me to get you the right answer, I need to check one thing out in order to make sure it's correct for you. Okay. Okay. And what I'd like to do is put you on hold. Could you could you repeat that back to me? Yes. Uh, in order to answer that question for you, ma'am, I need to check one thing, and I just need to put you on hold for a bit. Is that okay? That'd be great. Now, if you did that, what would she have said? I'm sure she would have said, that's fine. Thank you. That's right. Now, if that would have allowed you to go to the system, and once you've solved her issue, what does it earn you the right to be able to do? Uh, earns me the right to be able to get on, give her the answer, and um, you know, and then talk about good. this other this other piece that she was interested yes. in talking to as well. That's true. See, when, Absolutely. When, when a person when a person's uh, problem hasn't been solved, how open are they going to be to anything else to talk about? Uh, they won't be. Okay, so the first the first rule is to do what. First rule is to uh, satisfy them with the answer that they're looking for or with that's an answer right. that's correct. That's right, to solve their issue. So if you did that, then it earns you the right to be able to talk about this other thing. So here's what I want you to do. Well, I know you're new on the system still. You're still working some of these things out. So when you get confronted with that, what are you going to do? I'm going to uh, put the person on hold in the way that we just talked about. I will get the answer for them, come back, and I'll uh, give them the answer that they need. In the meantime, I'll also be thinking about collateral items that may be useful to them and good for our for us as well to talk but about. But only after we've solved their issue, right? Only after, right. Yeah, okay. So are you willing to put that into practice? I will do that. Can I count on you? 
Actually, I'm excited to do it. Yes. Good, good. Well, I'm going to go to Coach Joe over here because he needs some help, and I'll be back in a few minutes to see how well you did, okay? Okay. Now, my right. question, Bruce, is is how how likely do you think you would be to be able to put that into practice the minute I left? High or low? Uh, high. High, because it's uh, you gave the uh, very de- detailed how-to and the why and the therefore. So they were all there. And that's the level of skill I'm talking about. And and if you do that on a daily basis, how quickly do you think people's skills would improve? I think quickly. And you see, here's the issue. This is what people don't do because it takes some time. That was difficult. That wasn't easy. And and, and, and it takes – and I know I make it look easy, but I practice it. And that's the hard part for most coaches. Most coaches are not good at asking those kinds of questions. They're really, they're really good at telling people where they went wrong and telling people what they should do differently. But the problem is that when you walk away, people go right back doing what they've always done. And mm-hmm. if you, we could ever get our coaches to understand it's not in the statements you make, but in the questions you ask, it can completely change and revolutionize most call centers out there. And I have been a witness to huge growth in very short time durations. And if your, your audience can get a hold of this and really practice it, it really can mm-hmm. make a huge difference in what they do. Right. Okay. No, that's great. That's great. Uh, you know, one of the things that uh, we found, too, is that, uh, you know, going back to the idea of the components of the call and, uh, you know, being able to uh, break them down, to use them in terms of, uh, well, for instance, when you and I were talking about how the customer reacted, if we had a post-call survey of that call and of a lot of calls, then we would have the customer's view of what that, uh, the soft component, if you will, of the call was like. And, you know, we wouldn't be worried about, okay, did you say thank you for being a loyal customer or using their name three times or that sort of thing, because we would know directly from the customer how they felt about uh, the the call on the soft aspects, in terms of That's the right. hard aspects, right? Okay, so the, and and then the other thing is you don't need any calibration sessions, right? I, That's the point. You don't. And if you, there's if no you calibration sessions. And 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 one thing though that I would uh, you know say in addition to what you said is you have metrics actually if you have that if you have a post call system that works well. At the end of the year, you are going to, or even at the end of the month, you're going to have some very good metrics, but they're going to also be included with uh, comments from the customer, from the post-call survey, that are going to be part of the coaching process for you. And then well, if both the- you and your coach, the Steve Riddell of the situation, have access to that, you can take that and uh, really turn it into the magic that you uh, were just you know, showing us with regard to, to how coaching can work. So, That's right. Uh, you use your you use your metrics as a way of showing the the, the rep what that, that putting skills into practice actually improved their numbers, and you right. use your metrics as a way of showing skill improvement, and it really mm-hmm. does make a big difference. Right. Right. Okay. Good. Now I wanted to get you to say something nice about metrics because we really believe in them. So. <laughs> yeah. No. I, oh, I mean, metrics, we, we, metrics are, we are great we, if they're used in an appropriate way, for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Exactly. Exactly. And that's what we're 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 absolutely on the same page with that. Well, that's great. This has been a fabulous session, and actually, we're we're kind of at the end of our time here. Um, in terms of questions uh, out there, uh, Brian, is there a, a question that we could have before we we finish up here? A question or two? 
Yeah, I do have a couple, and uh, we can jump right to those. Uh, this one, the first one, came in on email from Max, and the question is, uh, what do you use to make sure that people are held accountable for performance? Well, the accountability comes through the metrics and standards of performance that you have. I, I don't want your audience to think I don't have metrics, but the reality of it is, I'm going to use metrics in a way that proves the case. Uh, I'm going to hold, I'm going to go to the metrics to to show me where I need to spend my time in skill development. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not going to try to change the metrics by themselves. I'm going to change the skill which, ha- which has the 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 added impact of changing the metrics. And when you do that, then you get the kind of behavioral change you want. If you don't, then people's behavior changes in a very aberrant way, and they change the score without changing the skill, and it has virtually no impact with the customer. Mm-hmm. Okay, gotcha. Uh, one other one, and this makes sense as a lot of people, I'm sure, are thinking this. Uh, from Donna. Thank you, Donna, for this one. Um, my people don't have time to coach everyone daily, so what do I do and how do I get this accomplished? <laughs> well, I wish I had a dollar for every time I've heard that one. Uh, the organization winds up putting so much, uh, so much work on these supervisors and managers that they spend literally 80 to 90% of their day in administrative tax tasks and duties. And what happens is they don't have any time. What we have to do is we have to remove the administrative tasks and duties from the primary people who are charged with building skill. And you do that, you win in big ways. It has to be removed. Now, let's take a, a, a team of like six or seven people who all have administrative tasks and duties and little time. What if you were to take one of those supervisors and make them your administrator and leave the other four available to just coach to skill? I promise you there are ways to do this that that can absolutely take organizations to the next big level, but it cannot be accomplished with the the management team and the people responsible for building skill who they're charged with and keep them so uncovered with administrative tasks and duties because they'll never be able to accomplish it. Mm-hmm. Okay, perfect. And we have another one from Mike. We just don't have time, but you kind of answered it. That it was about how you would designate your time throughout the day. So let me ask this other one from Alex. Um, and Steve, you kind of put yourself out here because you had some extraordinary results that you spoke of. And Alex asked the question, how does coaching impact culture and help you achieve such extraordinary results that you spoke of? Well, for us, culture is everything. And I spend, I've spent a lot of time thinking about culture, but culture is one of those things that happens as a result of how people, people feel about your organization. When people uh, understand that you care about them, and by the way, if I'm interested in helping you build your skill, how are you going to feel about me? It's going to be very different. And, and most organizations don't, don't drive skill, and because they don't teach people skill, people begin to, to think that all they care about is the numbers, and all they care about is, is, the, is the business, and they don't care about the customer. And, I, and, and culture is one of those things that happens as a result of following the right methodology with people. And you've got to have fun. I mean, we, we just have a fun time. I just got through moving our corporate headquarters from 18,000 square feet to 30,000 square feet and building a state-of-the-art new center. And I've got to tell you, it is a fun place. And when people are excited about coming to work every day, they tend to give a great experience to all those that they talk to. Mm-hmm. Very good. Okay. You know, uh, uh, th- this has been a great session. I realize we're uh, at the uh, the end of our time here. One of the things, Steve, that I think uh, spills over 
from what you were talking about is uh, the whole concept of supervisor training. And, uh, you know, there's a, a situation where we suggested a client change the name supervisor to agent advocate. And, and basically their success is based on the agent's success. And and they were given the training <laughs> to actually understand how to do that, which is that's something right. that's all too rare, unfortunately, in call centers. And And when, you know, you become a supervisor, who is coaching for the success of your people instead of, you know, for the discipline or trying to get the compliance from your people and, and uh, coaching for uh, the skills that you're talking about, uh, then it, it turns into a whole different, uh, whole different dynamic. And uh, you've that, really described so it so true. well. So true. It doesn't matter really what you call them. It's what they do. And if people know they care about them and they're interested in their skill, I'm telling you, they'll move mountains and you can get that double-digit performance improvement year over year. We're in a down-housing market that has been in the tank for five years, and we've grown 25% year over year. It can happen mm -hmm. for your organization, too. Mm -hmm. That's great. Okay. Well, listen, thank you very much for uh, sharing uh, your thoughts with us. It's really been a great show, and I appreciate your being on and look forward to our future interactions. Hey, and, thanks uh, a lot, Bruce. Great being okay. with you. Okay, good. Well, with that, back over to uh, Brian. All right. Well, thanks, you guys. Steve, I really appreciate you being on the show. And uh, I wrote down one of the questions uh, is that it is this. Questions are the heartbeat of the phone call. I like that. I want to leave everybody with that thought. And uh, I want to thank Bruce for all his good questions and conversation on the show as well. Uh, at this point, I do want to remind everyone that we have a, a new and improved 16 KPI multi-channel benchmark survey that is yours to take for free. Just head over to benchmarkportal.com and sign up for that. Uh, of course, want to enjoy all the other shows that we put together here at Call Talk, and that can be found on our website at benchmarkportal.com as well. So this is Brian Carrington signing off for the day. I want to make sure that all of you keep your headset steady and your fingers ready. Bye-bye. Take care, everyone.